I begin this morning with a story I heard about a convention of Texas State Highway patrolmen and policemen and troopers. And in the gathering of their convention, they were asked to submit the best excuse they've ever heard for someone trying to get out of a speeding ticket. The winning entry for the best excuse for trying to get out of a speeding ticket was submitted by an officer who recorded uh, or who tracked down a speeding semi-tractor trailer down the highway. As he saw this truck speeding, this officer pulled in behind the truck and turned on his car lights. But the truck kept going. The officer got right up behind his bumper, but the truck kept moving faster. The officer turned on his police siren, but the truck did not seem to heed the siren and moved even faster. Finally, the truck ran out of gas and pulled over to the side of the highway. The police officer got out and walked up to the trucker's window. The driver rolled down his window and the trooper asked him, Sir, did you see my lights? The driver responded, Yes, officer, I did. The officer asked him, Did you see me following you right behind your bumper? The trucker answered, Yes, sir, I did. Did you hear my siren after all those miles? The trucker replied, Yes, sir, I did. In exasperation, the officer said, Then why didn't you pull over? The driver told him, Well, officer, to be honest, about two years ago, my wife left me and ran off with a Texas State Highway Police Officer. The reason I didn't stop was that I was afraid you were trying to bring her back to me. The many reasons we have to justify our deep disdain for this idea of submission. Submission to authority. In this generation which prides itself in individualism and self-determination, submission for many in this generation has become a foreign idea. We want a certain plan to play out in our lives. We have a purpose and a desire which we want accomplished. We have a will for how our life is to turn out. And nothing will stop us from getting our heart's desire. But as we come this morning to the scriptures, we find out that as we continue to cultivate a heart for God, an essential element in a heart for God is a heart of submission. How do we submit to the authority of God? What does it look like? Well, let's take a look this morning as we continue our study in the life of David in our series entitled David, A Man After God's Own Heart. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of First Chronicles chapter 17. First Chronicles chapter 17. Again, if you're new to the Bible, we've been in First Samuel. It follows First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and then we get to First and Second Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 17, and then we're going to look, take a look also at chapter 22. The last time we left David, he was journeying in humility outside of Jerusalem because of the coup of his own son, Absalom. Through the intervention and the mercy of God, David is brought back to the throne of Israel as her rightful king. And now as he enjoys the golden years of his 
rulership and kingship, his kingdom is now prospering. I encourage you to read the rest of 1 Samuel to find out how God took David and brought him back into Jerusalem. But as we open 1 Chronicles chapter 17, in verse 1 to 3, David now, in the golden years of his life, has an intense desire to build a temple for God. David loved God so much that he could not bear the thought that the Ark of the Covenant was still under a tent. He believed that the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God with man, deserved to be in a magnificent, beautiful structure. It was a noble desire on the part of David. He wasn't selfish in his desire to build something for the Lord. And so he asked God, can I build this temple for you? But look at God's response in verse 4. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. One verse response from God. No, David, you shall not build my temple. No negotiations. This is not up for debate. It doesn't matter whether you pray earnestly or you ask often. This is my decision, my final decision, God tells David. Now put yourself in the shoes of David. How would you react? Here you have an intense desire to do something noble, to do something good, to do something admirable for the sake of the Lord. And God simply tells you no. Do you accept the answer? Or do you naturally pout? God, I want to do something great for you. Well, if you don't want it, that's fine. And I'll do it for someone else. I know you may not relate really with building a temple for God. I have yet to have any of you come to tell me, Pastor, I'd like to build a new church for God. So you may not relate to that, but I want you to think about your greatest dream, the biggest desire of your heart. Perhaps it is still the desire of your heart even until today. What is it? What is that in which you want something so bad in your life but God tells you no? How would you feel? Do you willingly accept it as if, oh, well, that's what God says or are you disappointed? What if it's a desire on your part to have a child but you cannot conceive? What if it's been your dream to immigrate to Canada or to the U.S. or to Australia, but after repeated tries, you are continually denied entry? What if it's a college or a school that you want to go to, but you have failed to get in? What if you're looking for a spouse, a Christian spouse, but you can't seem to find someone in accordance with the Scripture? What if you're looking forward to that promotion or getting that business deal that will set you straight for life, but God doesn't give it to you? In fact, He says, no, you're not getting it. His no suddenly doesn't seem so acceptable. As it is disappointing to you, so I believe it was also for David. We don't need to try to sugarcoat it or hide it. 
Anyone who wants something and doesn't get it is naturally disappointed. That is the human nature of which we are all a part. We're disappointed. I love watching beauty pageants. Now, before you make assumptions of me, let me finish. I don't watch it for the women. I like to watch at the very end when they're announcing the winner. Why? Not because I even really care who wins. I'm just waiting for that one time, perhaps it will happen, when the first runner-up will throw a fit. Instead of smiling, she will look disappointed. Perhaps she may even shout at the mic, I should have won! But no, you don't ever see that. I'm waiting for that moment. What do you see when they announce the winner? Oh, they're all hugging each other. And they're mouthing, oh, you deserve to win. I'm so happy for you. No, they're not. Honestly, each contestant thinks they should have won. And especially the first runner-up. They're not happy because they're this close from winning. And if it wasn't for that woman who won, I would have won. But I didn't. And I'm not going to get a second chance. And so I really feel, while they are mouthing, you deserve to, to win. I'm so happy for you. In their mind, they're thinking, oh, I should have won. Now, I don't know if this was the case with David, but I want you to look at verse 11 to verse 12 with me. Look at verse 11 of First Chronicles chapter 17. And it shall be, God tells David, when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. God tells David, you will die, and your son Solomon will have the privilege of building the temple of God. And because of this fact, from that moment on until even today, the temple is known as Solomon's temple. It could have been known as David's temple. If I'm in David's shoes, I am disappointed, greatly disappointed. I would have said to God, but God, this was my idea. My son, me, oh, we're the same genes. Why can't you let me build it? Let me at least start it. It could be a joint project. David and Solomon's temple. But alas, it was not to be. I don't want to read too much into the scriptures, but I look at human nature. And I know that fathers love their sons. And I know that mothers love their daughters. And we as parents want to see our children grow up and, 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 and succeed. But we're all human. And there sometimes is a hint of jealousy when a son grows up and he's better than his father. You smile and you say, wonderful. And perhaps you really do love him and you want that to succeed, them to succeed. But there's that, that hint of jealousy. Mothers, even the same way with their daughters. When their daughters grow up to be more beautiful than their mothers. If you don't believe me in what I'm saying, look at all the mothers who dress like teenagers. Enough said. Now, we don't have 
the scriptures telling us that David is jealous of Solomon. But there must have been disappointed, disappointment on his part. Here David wants to do something great for God. And God says, no, your son Solomon will have that honor. The commentator Constable says, God does not always permit us to carry out our desires to honor him. He sometimes makes this impossible because he wants us to serve him in other ways. A realization of this fact will relieve many Christians from false guilt and shattered dreams. An acceptance of God's plan for you. If you read to the end of this chapter, we find that David accepts this final decision of God. He could have been angry, he could have been belligerent, but he is not. And here in his attitude, we draw out our first principle. If you're taking notes, here's number one. A heart of submission accepts God's plan for your life without question. A heart of submission accepts God's plan for your life without question. Can we question God? Absolutely. The psalmist does it often. We can ask God questions. Can we be disappointed when we don't get our way? Absolutely. We can be disappointed. But you cannot cultivate a heart of submission if you continue to ask the question, why? Now, that's a process. Ask to your heart's content. But if God does not answer you, you begin to submit when you accept His plan for your life without question. Because you cannot continue to ask, why, 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 why? And then tell God, I'm submitting. Questioning and submission don't go hand in hand. It is when you come to an acceptance of God's plan for your life that you begin to cultivate a heart of submission. You know, for many of us, we say we do submit. We submit to our parents and we submit to, our, to those in authority and we submit to God. But for many of us, submission is forced submission. You may make me do it, but I'm not going to like it. And that's not submission. It's like a little boy whose mother keeps insisting that he sit down in a high chair. In the battle of wills, when he finally unlocks his knees and plops his behind on that high chair, his stare and his glare to his mother tells the real story. That child is saying, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I am standing up. On the inside. Not so true for many believers. God, this may be your plan. You may make me do this. But I don't accept it. I'll do it. I'll do it grudgingly. But I don't accept it. It's not submission. Submission comes when you accept God's plan for your life without question. It's an attitude. Although God doesn't allow David to build a temple... That doesn't prevent David from doing something for God as an expression of his love for him. So what does David do? Jump over a few chapters with me to chapter 22 of 1 Chronicles. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, we pick up in verse 5. Now, David said, as he talks to Solomon, 
Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. And the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. Note this. So David made abundant preparation before his death. David says, I can't build a temple, but I can make preparations. I can gather all the material. Now, I don't want you to think that somehow David is trying to weasel his way into building the temple. David knows about the fact that Solomon will build it. But God gives David the green light to be part of this project in collecting the materials. What a lowly job. I want to be the one who gets the honor of building it. I don't want to play second fiddle to having simply collecting the material and someone else getting all the credit. But that's not David's heart. For David, the Bible says, he believed that Solomon, perhaps a bit young, may not fully understand the magnitude of what the temple of God must look like. As he said, this temple must be exceedingly famous, magnificent, glorious, nothing but the best for the Lord. It was a heart that sought to glorify God. That's why we demand excellence in all that we do. God deserves the best. I demand it of you as a congregation because God deserves the best. I demand it of our staff excellence because God deserves the best. I demand it of myself in my work towards God because God deserves the best. And so in verse 2 to verse 4 of chapter 22, David prepares the finest of everything. From the stones that would be used to the iron and the bronze, and he even gets the best of woods, the famous cedar of Lebanon. Jump down to verse 14 to verse 16. He has collected the material. And I want you to note that this was something David did until the end of his life. It was not done half-heartedly. This was his new vision. This was his new purpose. Verse 5 tells us until the end of his life. Look what he tells Solomon in verse 14 to verse 16. Solomon, indeed, I've taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord. 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant. I prepared timber and stone also, and you may add to them. Moreover, there are worker, workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen and stonecutters and all types of skillful men of every kind of work. Of gold and silver and bronze and iron, there is no limit. Arise and begin working, and the Lord be with you. David has accumulated 3,750 tons of gold. That, that equates to 143 billion dollars in today's currency commodity price 37,500 tons of silver and precious metal that's 821 and a half million pounds of precious metal it's a staggering amount and he gathered all the skill workers required to finish this momentous project you know, all Solomon had to do was pretty much get up and say, let the work begin. 
That's all he could say. In David's heartfelt preparation, we draw out our second principle, number two. A heart of submission strives for the best in light of new circumstances. A heart of submission strives for the best in light of new circumstances. When God tells you no and God redirects your path, you don't mope and you don't wallow in your disappointment or in your sorrow. You strive to live out your life for the best in God's new circumstance for your life. Note that I did not say you make the best of your situation. That's what we tell people when they don't get what they want. Oh, well, just make the best of it. That has the idea that somehow God has given you his second best. You're stuck with this problem. Ah, just make the best of it. But what I've said is the principle of submission teaches us that we strive for the best with God's new circumstances. It's a more positive term. You do your best with the circumstance that God has given you. You live your life with the best in mind. Because this is God's special plan for you. Perhaps some concrete examples. For some of you, if it is not yet God's time for you to marry, I know that is a struggle for many singles. If it's still not yet God's time for you to marry, your job is not to hold yourself in depression in your room, signing up for every dating website, lowering your standards with the hopes that you will find a companion. You are to live your single life as best as you can and just enjoy it. Enjoy the single life. I cannot tell you how many couples tell me, privately of course, I wish I were single again. Even the Bible tells us in the epistles that he or she who is single has more time to dedicate to the work of God. Enjoy it. Enjoy that time. For those who can't have children, or it's not yet God's time, there are many who stress about it and struggle with it. And I'm not making light of it. I know it is a struggle. I know it, it hurts. It is disappointing. But strive to live the best life that you can without children. Because that day God gives you a child, the first three days of sleepless night, you may just wonder. It was so good when we didn't have a child. But during that time, you can begin to enjoy your life. Begin to think about adoption. The other beautiful way to live your life. That God can grant you spiritual children by which you can invest your life in. If you didn't get into the school of your dreams, enjoy the school that you got into. Not simply making the best of the terrible situation. God never gives you his second best, his leftovers. Enjoy God's beautiful plan for your life. It is the acceptance of God's decision and your moving on that allows you to bring purpose and joy in your life even if you didn't get what you initially wanted. You know, in, in, in our prayers, we pray many things to God. We beg and we plead with Him. 
oftentimes for the sick, we, we pray that God would heal them or God would heal us. But I'm so inspired by a man of our church who has terminal cancer, and we prayed for him. We prayed earnestly for him, but God has chosen in his divine wisdom not to heal him. And so he knows his time is coming. But if you were to visit him, you will not find a more joyful, cheerful person, a man who has found renewed purpose in his life with the time that God has given him. He will cultivate a prayer ministry. He's unable to walk, but he can pray, and he is living a joyful life. And you see that in David, a passion and an energy that went into the preparation of the building materials, because now he has another purpose. Until the day he sees his Lord, his job is to prepare for his son to build. He doesn't see it as a lower task. He sees it as a joy. I can almost feel the excitement as David tells Solomon, Solomon, this is all I've gathered. Wow. You see, my friends, life is consistently changing. It's always changing. And a heart of submission allows you to find joy in the changes of your life, in whatever circumstance, because whatever the circumstance, you are living your life for the glory of God. There will be times of disappointment. There will be times of struggle. But those disappointments can turn to times of joy as you look through the lenses of God's best plan for your life. The great missionary Jim Elliott says this, God always gives His best to those who leave the choice with Him. God always gives His best to those who leave the choice with Him. And if you know the story of Jim Elliot, he died at a very young age. He encountered great oppression in his spiritual work. And yet he's able to say God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. A heart of submission strives to live our life for the best in light of new circumstances. Back up to verse 6 to verse 10 with me. I want to show you something that's very important to understanding submission. Something that David tells Solomon. Then David called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to, name, to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, the son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son. And I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom on Israel forever. David tells Solomon, I really wanted to build a house for the Lord. I don't think there's a bitterness in his tone. 
He's simply telling Solomon how earnest he was. He said, but God revealed it to me that I could not because I had blood on my hands. I'm a man of war. But you, Solomon, are a man of peace, living in a time of peace, and you will have this honor. Now, if I'm in this position and God reveals this truth to me, I would have said, hey, God, just a minute. Wasn't it you who challenged me to stand up before Goliath? Wasn't it you who told me to attack the Ammonites? Wasn't it you who told me to get rid of the Philistines in this land? Wasn't it you who told me to drive away the idol worshipers in the land? And that is why I have blood on my hands, God. And now you're using that against me? In our minds of fair versus not fair, it seems not fair on the side of God. But here in his explanation to Solomon, it is very apparent that David has accepted God's reasoning for not getting what he wanted. David was given the privilege of knowing the reason. But for many of us, God doesn't give us a reason, but it doesn't matter. And herein lies the third principle, number three. A heart of submission acknowledges that God's reasons, if revealed, are always right. A heart of submission acknowledges that God's reasons, and you had to put there in parentheses, if revealed, because he may or may not reveal it to us, are always right. God's reasons are always right in his decision-making process. This is an important principle to grasp, to help us to submit. If we do not acknowledge that God is always right, then we are saying, God, maybe you make a mistake. And maybe you've made a mistake in this decision. And if God has made a mistake, the terrible implications of that. My friends, remember that God owes us no reason. Whether He tells us the reason or not is not our concern. Our concern is understanding that His ways are always the best for us and it's always right. The reason many wives do not submit to their husbands as instructed in the Scriptures is because they believe their husbands are always wrong. And husbands do not submit to God as Scripture calls us to because we don't think that God is always right. We want to do it our way. It is hard to submit to an authority whom you think is in error. But you see, the basis of submission is not whether God is right or wrong in this instant. The basis of our submission is that God's reasons are always right. We may not understand. It may not seem right to us. But it is right in the eyes of God. And therefore, it is the best for us. When we submit, we are admitting that we die to our desires. We die to ourself. When we submit, we wrestle control from us and we give it to God. He always has what is right because of His very character. 
there's a little poem that kind of echoes what Jim Elliot said, but it goes something like this. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He does the very best for those who leave the choice with him. I love that first part. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing can, nothing this truth can dim. This is the very character of God. He loves us. He cares for us. He knows all things. These truths do not diminish when you do not get your way. When you do not get your heart's desire. But He does the very best for those who leave the choice with Him. So for a God who loves us and cares for us and knows all things, why would we not give Him the decisions of our life? heart of submission acknowledges that God's reasons are always right. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know the struggle that you have that makes it so hard to submit. Many times God doesn't give us what we ask, even though we ask it earnestly in faith. But you turn a corner in understanding submission you begin to submit when the prayer of your heart becomes, instead of my will, God, it becomes your will, God. When the prayer can go from, Lord, this is what I'm asking you for, to, Lord, help me to accept your decision. Then you have begun to understand the process of cultivating a heart of submission. It's one of the hardest things to do. So many people are living lives of disappointment, lives of great sadness, because they feel so frustrated that God has not answered their prayer in accordance with your will. They never understand that part of the joy that comes with submission, and there is joy, and part of the peace that passes all understanding is saying and submitting, God, Give me the grace to accept what you have planned for me. Help me to accept and understand that this is the way it should be. It's hard to do. But only then can you find joy and only then can you find peace when things don't go the way you want it to go. A few weeks ago, I was reading a story in CNN it tells about the England family, mother named Ashley and her husband named Jason. They had two sons, an eight-year-old named Riley and a four-year-old named Logan. You've got to understand that Riley, their eight-year-old, is a special needs child. And when we even mention special needs, I can just imagine the hardship that it must be to raise up a special needs child. The questions of why could be many, and oftentimes God does not answer why. Perhaps when we see him. But this family doesn't often go out to eat because Riley also suffers from epilepsy, and he's nonverbal. He cannot express his frustrations, and he often gets frustrated, especially when he's hungry. But in this moment, 
the boy's grandmother and great-grandmother were in town, and together they went to the Stag and Doe restaurant in China Grove, North Carolina. And there, as they gathered to have a family meal, Riley started to get hungry because he was, and he started to get frustrated. And so the mom tried to appease his frustration by letting him play a game on her mobile phone. But they couldn't get the program to work on the phone, and so that made Riley even more frustrated and agitated. And because he could not verbalize his frustrations, he began to act out, he began to scream, he began to beat on their table, and he threw his mother's phone. That caught the attention of some nearby customers, and so the stairs began. Customers began to look. For the family, it wasn't the worst experience. Every time they go out to public, they prepare for this possible eventuality. Riley's condition has been diagnosed since he was a toddler. But for whatever reason, this time, she was frustrated. It was just so hard to control Riley as he got older and got bigger. It's been really tough for them those past few weeks. And so she was almost at her wit's end. So what happened next was just what the family needed. As her waitress was delivering food to the family table, Ashley noticed another waitress, Tanya Griffin, walking up with a few tears in her eyes. She passed along a message from another customer that the England family said they will never forget. The waitress told the family, your family's meal has been paid for. And the man who paid for your meal has left, but he wanted me to give you this note. And the note from the anonymous patron read this. God only gives special children to special people. God only gives special children to special people. Ashley told CNN that that just made her cry. She just broke down because these past few months had just been so hard. That man doesn't know what we've been going through, but how much we needed that encouragement at that moment. And I love that, and that touched the chord in me. God only gives special children to special people. If I could change that just a bit. God only gives special circumstances to special people. We often think that when things don't go our way, when we don't get what we want, that somehow God is punishing us and that somehow God has it in for us. But as I thought about this situation with David, I said, why David? A man after God's own heart. And I thought to myself, there is no other man in Scripture, no other man of faith, no other woman of faith, I believe. If they were told by God, you cannot build a temple, would have the same grace and the same passion to play second fiddle for his son and make all preparations. God gave David a, a special circumstance because he alone could fit the resolution. 
So it is in your life, my friends. The Bible tells us He will never allow you to endure something you and God cannot handle together. And so whatever the circumstance God brings into your life, whether they be of joy or of great disappointment, remember, God only gives special circumstances to very special people. A heart of submission helps us understand that. Helps us to understand that it is the special circumstances in our lives in which God's best will shines forth most brightly in our life. I don't expect you to learn that lesson immediately. I don't expect you to accept what I've just said because it is hard. It's very difficult. It's a struggle that you have and a struggle that I have. But when I understand that a heart of submission brings with it purpose and joy and peace, then I can begin to grasp the beauty of a heart of submission. And that's my prayer for each one of you. The journey we go on will wind and it will turn. It will change. It will not be what you want it to be. But that's okay. Because God will bring you to a point of great beauty and of great trust. And God will bring you to a point when you will die to yourself and you will entrust the controls of your life to Him. And then you will have cultivated a heart of submission. Let's pray. Lord, for your word this morning, I am grateful. Words that remind us that our best laid dreams and best laid plans are not necessarily your plans. And what seems best to me may not be what is best in your eyes. Help me to understand and accept that. Give you my life as you have given your life for me. And to remember the submission of the Son to the Father which brought about salvation for the world in my own life. How can I not but submit my life to you as well? Bless your people this morning. Help them to cultivate each a heart of submission and so that they will be known as men and women after God's own heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.